0: Father, we just give you just all glory and thanks this morning. We thank you for being our God. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, for your Holy Spirit, for your holy word that you've given to us, the scriptures, the bread of life. Father, we're here this morning to worship you, to praise you, to give thanksgiving to you for what you've done for us. And Father, may we feast upon your word, which is even more of a feast than what we had on this Thanksgiving week. And Father, thank you for showering us, this congregation, your body of Christ, and our country with the blessings that you have. And I pray that you continue to watch over this nation. Father, bring us closer to thee. I pray that I pray that the things that are going on in this world that you'll take control. That there's enough of us that love you and that praise you and that pray for you. That we will be the pivot that turns everything around. And that, that you will continue to be saving those who seek after you. And to, to touch them, Father, and to bring them into the fold of safety. And I pray this morning for your word. I pray that, that you will bless it to the nourishment and the strengthening of each one of us. And through it, as we fellowship in it with you, may you be glorified. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have to admit, I've struggled this week with putting the lesson together. I've been studying. I'm going to be studying another week on it, because I'm going to let you know right now this is a two-parter. I thought we can either be here two hours or I can make it two parts. <laughs> so I figured we'd just, we'd just go with the two parts. That's a little bit easier on everyone. But immediately after the last two weeks of lessons and talking about the blood of Christ and about that power and about what he's done for us and 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 the thanksgiving that we should have with that, and then I had a question first thing back in the in the back at the pantry while it was going on and somebody wanted to know about Judas and then the next day I had a text and um, my brother wasn't here then to have even known about anything just he had received the email of the message but out of the blue on Monday it was man I've been studying in John and uh, my, my heart was breaking for Judas on what was going on there. And I thought, man, I've I got to talk about Judas. <laughs> this, is, this is the Holy Spirit trying to work on my heart, trying to tell me that I need to go in this direction. And I've studied Him loosely in the past. I, I knew some of the things, and, and in my mind, for all of these years I've been here, that's one of those things that's been sitting on that back burner percolating, you know, that I know I, one day I need to do that. And so I guess this is the time he was, he was pointing to it. But I want you to know, there's something deep running through here. And I mean there's something deeper than I've uncovered yet. And I'm praying, and I want you to all to pray as a body of Christ. I want those prayers to go up this week. The, the Lord, would you reveal to us some of these deeper things in your word that surround what was taking place with Judas in his life and in his interaction with Jesus and especially before the cross and the things that was going on. And would you reveal that so that we can understand the depth of your word. But there are some deep running things and I'm not going to profess that I ever do anything except touch the surface and it's only what the Holy Spirit gives to me. So um, it's a challenge. And I pray that we accept that challenge. Are you ready to start learning a little bit about it? See what we've covered up? Yes, thank you, Ray. Thank you. Uh, We got some deep stuff going on. First, I want to talk in Judas before we even start digging in. I want to talk about how the privileges and opportunities that he had. You know, he's just like us. We've all got time. We've all got privileges and opportunities hand and you know he had the opportunity and the privilege to have been living in the time of Jesus and to actually be a follower of his to be right there he had such a great and marvelous privilege and opportunity to have not only heard about him to have seen him but also to be following him and then to be chosen as one of the 12 that is there one thing, I, as he was chosen, you know, every time he's mentioned in the Scripture, out of the twelve, Peter's always first, and Judas is always last. And most of the time, in the first three Gospels, it's always Judas who was also either the traitor or who would betray him. John gives us four times something a little different. We'll see a couple of them today. A couple times, John says, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him. I find that odd. How that only John would go into that, but also it was Simon's son. Something special is going on there that he wants us to know about. First of all, he's like you and me. He was somebody's son, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, he was just like us. And then I think about Simon, Simon's son. Is that supposed to point that he was a, a good father trying to bring him up in the right ways and point him in that right way, but he, he's not going to end up heading that way? Or was he maybe not the greatest of examples? I don't know. I can't tell you that. But all I know is, is that John wants us to know that he was Simon's son. And I think that the people at that time had to have known about Simon or there was no mention that the Holy Spirit should have put that in there even. And so the next thing, we do know that he was the only disciple that was from Judea and not from Galilee. The name Judas is a derivative of the name Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah. So he's the only one from Judea. And not Galilee. His name is a form of Judah. Guess who else was of the tribe of Judah? The Lord Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember that? So there's a possibility that they could have been cousins since they all came from that. Maybe 23 times, twice removed or something. But, but he, he was probably a type of a relative of Jesus as well. Judah is the tribe that the prophecy said that the king would come from. That there would always be the lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So that made me think, hmm. Is there a possibility that Judas thought that maybe if I follow along with this guy that I might also be able to usurp Him and come King. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a place for me that I can usurp Him. That's for next week. But what, what we're going to see is, as we continue to go in through this, and I'm just trying to set this groundwork for you. Up in the heavenly realm before the earth, you remember that Lucifer, son of the morning was there and he hung around the throne but he wanted what he wanted to be the throne he wanted his throne to be the one that was raised above God he wanted to usurp that power and we're going to see that Judas is in that lineage as well of what his desire is he seems I I don't know I I don't know how they told this uh, but the scholars seem to say that Judas was the most educated out of the bunch that he probably had the most education, that he was the most savvy, and, and that, that uh, he had every opportunity of, of mind and heart to have been able to have been a great discerner of things. So he should have been one who should have discerned that Jesus was the Son of God, along with the rest of them. Um, he had that mental capacity. So as the Word of God moves on this story, we can know that he had the ability to reason well. He should have been able to make good choices if he chose to do so. And he is the only disciple, the Word of God says, that had a job description, didn't it? Because out of all the other disciples, we've never seen any of them have a job description except for him. And he was what? Treasurer. He held the bag, didn't he? He was the one who controlled all the finances for this group. He was the treasure of it. So, not only did he have those chances, but he had more opportunities than anyone else. He was, he was given more freedom there than any of the other ones. But what we're going to learn is, as we go into this and get intimate with Judas, that he was a very good deceiver. He was very deceptive. That cleverness that he had wasn't used in the proper way. And he was very clever at being a pretender to be a believer. None of them figured out, none of those 11 figured out beforehand that he wasn't, just like them, a true believer in the Lord. But he wasn't, he wasn't. He was concerned about status, about money and himself. And he was using Jesus, his position in that group, and even the rest of them to try to further his own desires in this world that would come. And we're going to develop that some more as well. He, he was a loner. He's going to do this alone and leave the group and go to seek out the chief priests to betray him. And to do these things. So he, he was a loner in that way. He, he acted alone in that just like I don't know if there was a lone gunman. That's another story. I'm trying to, everybody's so quiet, I'm trying to, trying to throw a little something in here to say, say that you're awake with me. Okay, let's go to the next slide, Miss T, and here's what I want you to see, that he was the, the one. He's the only one of the two. Here's what I want you to know whenever we start talking about that he wasn't a believer. Because there's a big argument about that. You'd be surprised whenever you go on, online and you, you look at what people have to say. There's so many that have a different viewpoint than the one I'm going to point you to. And I mean a lot different. But I don't think it's scriptural. So, because he's the, the son of perdition. That's, that's the fifth thing about him. In both John 17... With the prayer of Jesus just before he's going to be betrayed with a kiss and captured and hanged upon that tree that we talked about last week, the cross of Golgotha. The only other one that's ever been called the son of perdition is the actual Antichrist that's going to come in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul wrote there, Now we beseech you, brethren. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together. So he's talking about that that end times whenever we're going to be all gathered together with him. He says, I don't want you to be shaken in mind because people was making rumors. It's already happened and you didn't get to go. And he said, I don't want you to be shaken by that. That's not true. Don't be troubled in your spirit or by word or if someone even said they had a letter from us because we haven't sent it that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And the man of sin shall be revealed, the son of who? The son of perdition. And so that Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Now you see why I was going there with Judas. He's the son of perdition. He's trying to usurp. He's trying to present himself and exalt himself above all that is called God or worshipped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And whenever you look at John 17, Jesus wrote there that all the grace that I've shown him, all the opportunities, all the privileges, the chances that he had He said, I'm getting ready to no longer be in this world. But these are still in the world, and I bring them to thee. Holy Father, keep them through thine own that they was given to me. I have kept them. That word there for kept is to have kept guard of. I have guarded them. It's the word apalumi, which means actually to be not destroyed. He says, I have kept them away from the destruction. I have tried to protect them. I didn't lose none of them. And that word for lost is apolume. Lost means to be destroyed. And it defines a type of misery from hell. Except the son of perdition. And that word perdition is the noun form of the same word. It's apalea, Where lost is apalume. So one's the verb and one is the noun. But it's the same word concerning destruction. He is a son of destruction. The true Apollyon is Satan. And it's from the word Apollyon. And if you'll remember in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 11. It tells there that they had a king over them. Which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon. But whose name... In the Greek is Apollyon. So you see here that he is a son, an offspring, just like Apollyon is of destruction. He is a son of Satan. So, the Lord provided every opportunity, every chance. The Lord preached to him. Whenever he was making several of the examples, it was straight at Judas. The other ones didn't understand and they took it in. But the Lord was working really on the one whose heart was still not connected to his. The mind that has never given in. The thing that Judas would never do was to make Jesus his Lord. You know, I heard a preacher one time, I sat under one, who often mentioned it and it's kind of stuck with me. He said, everybody wants Jesus as their Savior. but very few wants him to be Lord of their life. To be the the one that's over their life. And that you are humbled yourself to them. Everyone wants the Savior. But nobody wants to have a Lord. That they report to. That was his problem. He wouldn't humble himself to the Lord. And allow the Lord to be the one who lifted him up. So now. Let's examine him a little further. Turn in in your Bibles if you would to Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, we're going to see how that the Lord was always constantly trying to work His way and we're going to see how Judas was just the opposite and taking it apart. Matthew 26, as they did eat, down in verse 21, if you want to go down to verse 21 with me. As they did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, and you remember what I've said before about when He says verily or verily, verily, I'm saying something to you, you remember what that means? Heads up. Point of doctrine coming. I'm getting ready to tell you something important. So I'm saying verily, verily. That's, that's what it means. Man, get, get ready for it. He says, verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and they began every one of them to say what? Huh? Lord, and what? Is it I? Every one of them was saying, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said. He that dips his hand with me in the dish. The same shall betray me. The son of man. Now now look what he's saying. He's already pointed out. I'm speaking about the one that's going to betray me. And he says this. You're going to dip your hand with me. And here's what I want you to know. That I'm going to go to the cross. As it was written. And as it was prophesied. And as it is for a purpose for y'all. But. Woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been what? So now, let, let me ask you. If you're in Judas's place, and the, and the Lord has just said, Woe to the one that's going to betray me. It had been better for you if you had not ever been born. Do you think you'd have changed your mind? Yeah, you would you would have hoped. But if you've got a mindset that I'm not going to humble myself to him and actually we're going to find in a minute that he's very angry because he's been rebuked and he was brought down in front of all of them and that's what changed him. There was something that changed him even more into this. Satan had already been working on his heart. But th- that was where it really clicked. And the Lord tried warn warning. The Lord was giving him a warning of, of a gospel message of don't do it. It's going to be better for you if you had not been born. And then look at verse 25 real close. When J- Jesus gave this explicit warning, then the scripture says, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said what? Yeah, Master, is it I? Do you see any difference between the other eleven response and Judas's response. They said, "Lord, Kyrios." They acknowledged him as the Lord of their life. He said, "Master," which if you look at the original Greek was rabbi, teacher. So basically he said, "Teacher." Teacher is it I. He refused to acknowledge him as his Lord of his life. The other ones did. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, I'm going to give you something, Paul says, that you need to understand. No man who speaks by the Holy Spirit of God can say that Jesus is accursed. The Holy Spirit will not allow that to happen. If anyone's talking about Jesus and saying he is accursed, not, he, was, he was cursed for us on the tree, but not that Jesus is the curse and that he is accursed and that he's not the Savior. You can't do that by the Holy Spirit of God. Neither can you claim truly from the heart that He is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit of God being in you. So, does Judas have the Holy Spirit? You see, he's never done that, has he? He's never submitted. He's never confessed. He's never said, you are the Lord of my life. The other one's had. He said, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus said, yep. You just said it. I didn't tell you. You made the response. And he goes on to tell him that in a minute he's going to say, go ahead and do what you got to do and do it quickly. But Luke 6 begins our journey deeper now into the story of Judas. In Luke 6, we're going to see that Jesus has been teaching for a bit now. After his baptism in the river Jordan by his cousin John the baptizer, he has now been through 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted by the devil. He's begun his ministry of telling the people, uh, repent, change your mind. And that's what he's been trying to tell Judas all this time. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's got many disciples now. He's In Luke 6, he's, he's been teaching, he's been healing He's been doing some different things. They see that He is the Messiah, the coming one. And in verse 12 of Luke 6, we we read that it came to pass in those days that He went into a mountain to pray. He continued all night in prayer unto God. You know what Jesus was praying for? Can you see it in the next verses? He was praying for all of the disciples that was now following Him How am I going to break it down into my inner circle? The ones that's going to be close to me. The ones that I am going to send forth at the end of this. He prayed all night to God about it in verse 13. And when it was day, he called unto them the disciples, and of them he chose twelve. So you've got this huge following that had been following. And out of that and out of his prayers all night, God the Father said, Here's the twelve that I have given unto you. And he named them the apostles. You see how it was changed that they were the apostles. The disciples is a follower of Christ. Apostles are going to be ones who are sent from his hand. And we get 12 that became the apostles of Jesus. And so they're listed. Simon, Peter, number one. Andrew, James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon called Zelotes or the Zealot. And Judas, the brother of James. And then finally, the last one, Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. You see how every time he follows at the end, he's the traitor. Peter starts it out. And the naming of the twelve was after prayer. And that prayer was answered and he was given these and he called them and he brought him forward. And so he had the same opportunity as the other eleven. He had the same privileges of the other eleven. He had that, that same thing among them all. He was the one that was being chosen. Now as you keep on going, he's listening to the teachings of Jesus firsthand. He saw the five loaves and the two fishes feed five thousand men, let alone women and children that was with him. Then he, they saw right after that, if you're looking through this story right here, right after that, you know, they go across the sea and he's not with them and he comes out on the sea in the storm and stuff and they're afraid and he gets into the boat and it says immediately when he got into the boat, phew, the boat was on the, the, the next shore. Man, they see all of this. Verse 27, all the rest of them that he had fed was looking for him the next day. And they said, man, he must have crossed over. So they go chasing after him and they come up to see him again. And Jesus is telling them, man, you're coming after me because I fed you. You're coming after me because you received something. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you about the difference between physical food and spiritual food that I really want you to know about. If you look in verse 27, labor not for the food or the meat that perishes, but strive for the meat that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And they all asked, what shall we do? So they all wanted to know how to get this everlasting life and this meat that went to it. And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on me, whom God has sent. They wanted a sign. Well, how do we know that it's you? And he says, I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven to give life to the world. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. So you got the opportunity. Judas is right there listening to this as as the rest of them are. Jesus goes on to say, and there's a long discourse now in John chapter 6. There's a lot of verses, like 71 in this chapter. And he has a long discourse about being the bread of life. And in me you will never thirst. And then he starts talking about the Lord's Supper that he's going to institute. And you see, they didn't have ears to hear. He said, As a matter of fact, I'm not only the bread of life, but unless you eat my flesh and you drink of my blood, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. You'll not have everlasting life. And they didn't know, they couldn't understand that he was referring to the Lord's Supper that was getting ready to to be instituted not too long after this. They're like, we're not eating your flesh and drinking your blood. And that's a hard saying. And if you look down at the bottom of it. It says in verse 60. As he, was, he had taught that in the synagogue at Capernaum. In verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples said when they heard that. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who wants to be a part of this basically? Verse 66 says. In John chapter 6. That from that time forward many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve that was left. And he said will you guys go away also. Simon Peter answered and said what? Lord. Lord. To whom should we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So you see already by John chapter 6. Everything that they've seen so far, he's calling him Lord, and you have the words of eternal life, and he's believed on him. To whom should we go? You're the only one. Verse 69, they said, we believe, he's, he's the spokesman of the group now, of the 12, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But what Peter didn't know yet, speaking for the group, that there was one of them that wasn't the same as the rest of them that thought he was the Lord, thought he had the words of eternal life, and where else should we go, that did not believe that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus, and that's what I'm saying about the pretender that he was on following us, they had no idea that he wasn't a part of the twelve. And so Jesus had to tell them, have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is the what? Yeah, the devil." the son of perdition. He still hasn't given his heart over yet. He is still thinking about self. Ju- Jesus spoke of Judas Iscariot, again, son of Simon, for it was he that would betray him, being one of the twelve. And so what I see from a couple of things here in this passage, Judas has had just as much opportunity, just as much privilege. He's heard, he's saw, he's been a part to figure out that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, just the same that Peter had. But he had refused to. And, and Jesus didn't single him out at this point. He just made it the profession that one of you is the devil. The one who knew it would know who he was talking about. The other ones didn't have any idea, didn't have any clue who it was. So, I also see that throughout time there's going to be many followers that just like Jesus or Judas isn't there. I remember a time when, when Jesus said that when that time comes, they stand before him, they'll say, Lord, Lord, at that time... Uh, don't you know who we are? I've done this for you. And I've done that for you. I've preached. I've cast out demons. I've done all of this. And he says. The Lord says to them. I never what? So depart from me. Iniquity. You see. That's like Judas. He's been a part of it. He would go out with them. Teach. He, he had the bag for them. He went out to cast out demons to spread the word. But his heart was never in the right place. And Jesus never was his Lord. For whatever reason, there was other ulterior motives that was still going on. And Jesus said, you need to believe in me. You still belong to the devil. Now, John 12. Turn to John 12 with me if you would. We're still... Man, we're still building this this case of, of what's going on with Judas in his life. And as you turn there, I want to set up the scene that's taking place. Matthew 26 will tell us that Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And they're here in Simon's house and they're celebrating. So I want you to see that there's a celebration going on. They're in Simon the leper's house, but Martha and Mary is there. Lazarus is sitting there, and Martha and Mary is... is uh, Martha's doing what she does. She's doing all of the fixing. She's, she's cooking. She's doing the things... Mary's doing what she normally does. She's hanging around Jesus. Remember, she was the one that was always at his feet, and, and Martha was like, Why isn't she helping me cook everything? And he says, Martha, Martha, you know, you're after these things, but she is after some things that's more important. So here she is, and she's so thankful, you see, that of what had been happened to her brother that she takes. Something that was probably a part of her savings account. She took this alabaster box. I don't know if she'd saved that if she had coins and then went and bought it for this occasion or if she had already had it. We're, we're not told that. But all I know is that she had this alabaster box of precious ointment. And she began to bust that and began to anointing Jesus' head and, and anointing his feet. And there's a celebration going on, and the scent of that nard's filling the room. And I remember about four or five years ago, I brought in a bottle of spikenard and put a drop on anyone who wanted it. And boy, that stuff's strong, isn't it? Boy, I love the smell of spikenard, but my wife doesn't. <laughs> I'll, every once in a while, I'll make some homemade soaps out of goat milk, and I'll put in a few drops of that spikenard in there. And she says, why do you do that? That's the awfulest smelling stuff. Put in something that smells a lot better than that. Why did you do that? And I'll say, because I want to use that whenever I wash my hair or whenever I take a bath to remember my Lord. Because that's what he was anointed with right before his death. And said, such a great thing that she's doing there for me because of what she wanted. And that's why I do it. And that's why I love the smell of it. And it says that as she does that, that there was indignation among the group. And one of them said, and it was, we're going to find out in a minute who it was, but one of them said, that, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting it like this on him? That could have been sold for 300 denarii, 300 days wages, and we could have given the money to the poor and used it for that. This is such a waste. Well, switching over to John's account now, if you're there in in John 12 with me, this takes place uh, six days before the cross. uh, Lazarus was there. Martha's making the meal. Mary anoints him with spikenard. And in verse 4, it says, Then saith one of his disciples. So who was the one that was instigating all this? Judas Iscariot. And it says that Judas Iscariot Simon's son which should betray him said why was not this ointment sowed for 300 pence and given to the poor this he said not because he cared for the poor did he but why because he's a thief he's a robber and he holds the bag Uh, he bare what was put in it so I want you to see what the scriptures is painting about Judas. That he's, he's really a great pretender. He's in it for that bag. And he, boy he's, ups, he's upset that, that that alabaster box was broke. And that 300 denarii was anointed upon the Lord. Not, but he had him fooled about the poor didn't he? And here's the clue that I got later on in this study. And it will be probably next week. Yeah it is next week. Whenever Jesus tells him to go do what you have to do, and he gets up, do you remember what happens with the other 11? They're going to say, we didn't know why he left. We didn't know it was to go to betray him to the chief priest. He'd already worked that out and he's going to lead them to him. It says, we thought he might have been going to buy provisions for our Passover meal or to give to the poor since he held the bag. Do you see how he had convinced all 11 of those disciples that the money that was leaving that bag was going to the poor? He had them convinced, oh, I care about the poor. Boy, I'm helping so and so. We've donated to this. But it was all coming right here into his hand. And that's all he cared about. And so it says, Jesus said, that that's what he cared about. He didn't care for the poor. He was a thief. He held the bag. In reality, he wanted to steal the money. He wanted to steal probably a life savings from Mary and Martha. And the celebration. He wanted to take that for himself and to put it into his bag. But Jesus said, back in Matthew 26, 14. I'm going to read from the board there. Verse 10. This is still a part of that story. When Jesus understood it, He said to them, Why are you troubling the woman? Why are you troubling Mary? She hath wrought a good work upon me. The poor you what? How long are you going to have Jesus? Six more days. The poor you're always going to have, but me not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. She's preparing me for the burial. She's the only one that had enough doctrine to know this. And verily I say unto you so, verily, here's the point Who, wheresoever this gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached in the whole world, there also shall this woman be told what she hath done as a memorial to her. And I always like to stop and take a moment for that. That this woman did such a great sacrifice. I mean, 300 days wages. That's pretty much you take away holidays and weekends. That's pretty much your whole year's salary. That's how thankful she was for the Lord. That's how much she loved the Lord. And what she was willing to do for him. One years, But I'm anointing him. Because he's getting ready to be buried. And I'm preparing him for what he's getting ready to do. And then it says. That's when. It says that one of the twelve, now he went to the chief priests, didn't he? And he said to them, what will you give me and I will deliver him to you? Why did he go to the chief priests right now? Why do you think he left? Because he's mad, ain't he? He never was a believer. He's been a pretender. But Jesus just rebuked him in front of everybody, didn't he? He just said, let her alone. What she's doing is a marvelous thing. You don't understand it because your heart's not with me. But what she's doing is wonderful and beautiful and it's a sacrifice. And wherever in this whole world my story is told, I want you to praise what she has done. And because his heart has never been in the same place that Mary's was, He got mad for being called out. And also, what did he say that she was doing this for? My burial. So now, if you're Judas, and your whole idea had been about, he's going to be king. They're saying he's the Messiah. You see, their idea was an earthly kingdom, wasn't it? They thought he was going to be the king that was going to come restore the glory to Israel. And hey, if I'm treasurer now, what do you think it's going to be like if I'm treasurer and holding the bag of the entire nation of Israel? Do you see where he was coming from? Man, I'm hanging on because I can have this official office when he's king I can be treasurer of all of Israel. My hand is in the bag. I've got it made. When Jesus said, this is for my burial, she's preparing it for that, his bubble popped. He's not understanding spiritual things. He's only been on earthly things. And now it's like, I've wasted three years of my life (laughs) following this guy thinking that I'm going to be somebody with him. And now he's talking about this is for my burial and I'm going away. And what have I got left to do? If I want any kind of change at all, I'm going to the chief priests who have a whole lot of the, the money of the kingdom because they held the coffers of the, of the people who would come in and put the money and the tithes in. So he said, I'm going to go to them and see what I can get. So immediately, after he'd been called out, after his anger, his jealousy, his bitterness and his envy, he says, I'm going to go to the to the Uh, priests I'm going to ask them what will you give me and they bickered back and forth about it a little bit and then they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver you know what the price of 30 pieces of silver was in Exodus 12 that's the price of a slave of a servant what did we see last week Jesus left being God came to this earth in the form of a servant all the way to the servant on the cross didn't he so he was sold out for the price of a servant 30 pieces of silver cuz he was mad he was jealous he was bitter and that that inner inner feelings led to the outward action of what's getting ready to take place that's a big coffer now we fast forward to John 13 The six days have elapsed. The Passover supper is upon him. Jesus' time to depart is at hand. The supper being ended, it says who entered into him? The devil. Having now been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Does that sound like he's saved yet? No. No. It doesn't. He's not. Next week. Here we go. Preview of coming attractions. What we've done this week, what I hope to do with you with the Word of God was to prove to you who Judas was and where his heart was. Next week, I want to show you the heart of Jesus. I want to show you the heart that he had for Judas and how he was still going to try. All the way up until the time that he left and said, okay, go ahead. But he's going to do everything next week. To try to have Judas to be saved and to believe and to know that I've got grace and mercy. <clears throat> I don't care what you already done. You can, you, he's going to throw it away and give it back to him anyway, isn't he? So basically, he's going to try everything he can to say, you can go ahead and, and just do that anyway, but believe in me and live. But it's not going to work. But next week, we're going to see the, the grace of God. We're going to see the grace of the Lord and His love. For him, Verse 27 says that after everything that we're going to see next week, after the sop, Satan entered into Judas, and Jesus said, what thou doest, do quickly. So as our praise team returns next week, we're going to see that last all-out ditch effort of what Jesus is going to do to try to reach the heart of one man. To change his mind about him that he might become his Lord and his Savior. Satan, when the final plea was, went unaccepted, you know what that did? That opened the door of the heart. You know, you can only reject the call so many times. So many times. And then pretty soon, that hardness of heart takes over. One day I'm going to preach you that lesson. It's out of Ephesians chapter 4, I believe. And in Ephesians chapter four, it talks about the scar tissue on the heart, about those who have heard the word, heard the word, heard the word, rejected the word, ah, another day, another time, and how that 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 strife with the word makes a scar tissue. It's actually the word for a callus, like whenever you've worked and worked, and then you start building calluses upon there. Callus is what unfeeling man before that it it touched you it hurt man it made a blister it would do that but pretty soon after time and after time it builds a callus builds a scar tissue and when you build a callus and when you build a scar tissue you're no longer you can come to a point to where you can't be reached that was this point with Judas he's going to come to the point to where he could no longer be reached and after everything the Lord said okay go ahead and do what you do. And do it quickly. But you got to be born again. So I pray that if you're here this day. And you've not been born again. If you've been on the fence about this thing. That you don't build up that scar tissue. That you don't keep rejecting. That today's the day of salvation. We've got, we've got the uh, towels. We've got the clothes. We've got everything ready for you today. Don't sit on the fence. Because as peter said on that day of pentecost therefore after he told them all about this jesus he said therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that god hath made this same jesus whom you crucified both what lord and christ, lord and christ. You see, that's, that's the part that Judas never got. That's the part that a lot of the folks in the world won't do because they don't want him to be the Lord. But God has made him both Lord and Christ. Both the Messiah, the one who will save, but he's also got to be Lord. He's both Lord and Christ. Therefore, he has to be your Lord. Repent of that. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the remissions of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God, Father. I've struggled with this all week, and I realize, Father, that this wasn't the most upbeat lesson. That this wasn't the man. We've we've had that the last three weeks. Man, we've talked about such good things and the, the thanksgiving that we, we have for you and what Christ done and what your blood purchased us and the virgin birth that you, you, you were the father and that it was the DNA of your blood that was shed, the price that was paid for our sins. And we have saw how Christ just willingly gave up being God and didn't hang on to that and came to this earth. And what he did for us is the form of a servant and went to the cross and paid that debt. We've saw the, the wonderful things the last few weeks. But Father, we also gotta see that there's a danger of not allowing Jesus to be the life of our or the Lord of our life so we have to we have to put a spotlight every once in a while on that and on judas and next week we're going to see your love in action again and so father i just pray that you will help us to to build upon this that that this is an example for us of what not to be where we've seen the last few weeks of what to be and what jesus has done for us and so father i pray that this lesson will sink deep into the hearts of every one of the sheep of your flock I pray that it will build them up and give them a good foundation. I pray that that those who have not ever made you the Lord of their life will do so. I pray that those of us who have will say you are the Lord of my life. And, And Lord, I've not always allowed you to be that. I've tried to guide it myself too many times. But Lord, I'm going to give myself over to you and let you be the Lord of my life. And I pray, Father, that you will help us, that you will encourage us, and that you will strengthen us through your word, through your spirit, and through the blessings that you've given us through the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.